think right now automation has created so much stuff getting thrown your way through automation that you have to figure out ways to cut through the noise and be relevant. And that's the big piece of it. I think personalization is important, but not like it used to be. You know, people are like, oh, wow, I saw you went to the same college as my buddy Fred did. You know, I'd be like, that's not personalization like it used to be. Everyone sees through that these days. It's relevance that wins. And if you can be relevant and stick out and do something different, maybe like create a custom video or do something that is human, people are going to gravitate towards that over all the uh, static emails that are being sent. For those of you who are looking to get more sales for your company, you won't want to miss this entire episode. We had Gabe Lulo on who goes deep into how he's built multiple companies and also helped countless other companies, hundreds of companies in the tech space and you know other spaces, insurance, real estate, all sorts of different industries scale their sales organization through SDRs and outbounding. And uh, he gets into a lot of different detailed topics about what's working, what's not working, what has changed in the industry since 2021? Uh, a lot of companies were experiencing really great sales metrics and results with their sales team back in 2021, but they're no longer getting the same results in 2023. So he goes into why that is and what companies can do about that to get their results back up. Uh, and he, we get into AI. You know what? What you know is AI good or bad for sales? That's at the end of the episode. So if you want to hear about uh, our, you know, if you want to hear about Gabe's take on AI, definitely stay tuned through the whole episode. And that's it. I hope you enjoy. Gabe Lula on the show today. Uh, Gabe, you're the CEO of Alleyoop, a global leader in sales development as a service. Uh, you've trained, literally trained over a thousand SDRs over the last decade. I don't, I don't know how you even begin to train that many. I'm sure it was, uh, you know, quite a handful to, to, you know, bring in that many reps and and scale a business to where you've scaled it to. Uh, but I'm yeah really excited to dive in uh, to your entire career. You've got some interesting stories we've talked about uh, before we started recording. Uh, so I'm interested to dive into all that and just kind of hear, uh, you know, interesting insights about how companies can do outbound. Yeah, Brian, and thanks so much for, for having me on the show. Love your show, by the way. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to uh, dig into it. You know what? It, it kind of started with my career. Um, went to school in Connecticut, graduated, and you know, wanting to get into business and sales. I have an economics degree, so I thought Wall Street was the place to be. But did some internships before I graduated on Wall Street, which was pretty interesting. I felt like I was in the Wolf of Wall Street boiler room setting in Manhattan. Um, you know, I'm old enough to actually you know know what the phone book is and a touch tone phone with a, a wire, you know, to the headset of the phone. Right, so it was very different back then, but. I was calling, you know, hundreds of people a day, pretending I was a stockbroker, someone else's name. And, and as soon as I picked someone up, I, I passed the phone to them. So it was a very uh, manual intensive type uh, SDR role, if you will. So it was literally like that, uh, that, that movie Boiler Room then. It, it literally was. I mean, if you remember the pursuit of happiness with like Will Smith and he like, he had a time, like how long it would take him. And if he did a bathroom break, like it would be off the phone, you know, too much. And so that's literally what I was doing, you know, age 21, you know, in New York. Um, it was pretty fun back then, but yeah, graduated. And then, uh, you know, then 9-11 happened. And then it was right around that time, everything just job froze, you know, you know, freezing for hiring everywhere. And so I kind of, you know, licked my wounds a little bit and uh, started a, a staffing and recruiting business with uh, my 
my best friend's dad at the time was really interesting. He's a successful business owner. So we started a staffing firm and that's really where I got into the recruiting and understanding of, you know, trends of, you know, different types of, of roles that were, were growing. What were and you that, staffing? So I was, yeah. So we staffed salespeople. Um, we were doing staffing for sales executives. Uh, and then it spun off another business, which is a training business. So we were recruiting and training salespeople. Um, and we did that for 10 years successfully. And I was on the road a lot and I was always in another city and state every single week. Um, and that at that point I was becoming a dad and like, Hey, I want to do something that was, you know, sta static and, and, and in my hometown or something where I didn't have to be on the road all the time. And I ran into a guy who is the, now the founder of this company and he owned a company called inside sales team which really was brand new to the whole SDR role and the sales development role. And that's, you know, where I came and, and Aliyup has, has been born from there. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So uh, now you skipped a part. I remember you told me that at one point you actually built the outbound program at Zoom Info. Uh, for anyone who's like in the sales space, you know, they're going to know who Zoom Info is. Uh, for those of you who aren't, uh, Zoom Info is like the gold standard for sales contacts data. So they've got like this massive database of all the business executives, you know, globally, uh, especially in the United States, you can kind of like do filtering by company, by industry, by revenue, by job title. And they even have like intent data. So you can see kind of like what businesses might be in the market for. Uh, I'm actually, that, that's a thread. I'm curious, like how they get that intent data. That would be an interesting thing if you have some insight on that, but uh you know, I'll digress back to the original point here, which was you building the original outbound program at Zoom Info. Uh, and I'm really curious about like what that was like, uh, what stage in the company where they're a massive, uh, what are they like multi-billion dollar market cap at this point? Yeah, they do over a billion in ARR. Uh, they went public in 2020 uh, during the middle of the pandemic. Um, they are a global leader and the largest uh, you know, data provider for companies. Um, they, uh, you know, they started off as a brand called Discover Org, um, and we were their only and exclusive sales development um, team. So they outsourced their sales development when they were getting started over to us, IST Inside Sales Team at the time. Uh, I was actually on that project uh, the, the day I started, booking demos for them uh, to just to learn the ropes. And um, yeah, we grew the team for almost a decade. Uh, they acquired Ranking, they acquired several other data providers, and then they finally acquired Zoom Info and rebranded their entire business to Zoom Info. And um, yeah, what's interesting is when we were building that function, um, you know, that's really when the SDR role was really invented in that tech SaaS data space. And we grew it um, with them in, in a, a really, really good partnership. And we are still huge fans. Actually, um, Many of the people who originally were on that project when we started it are, are now there uh, running a, a very successful sales development function. They have hundreds of SDRs currently and using the same technology and same plays and playbooks that we uh, we actually use today and, and, and started with back then. So, it, yeah, it's definitely a great success story. Awesome. What uh, what year was that? I'm curious. Um, that was back in 2014. Uh, okay. when, when that conversation started with them and, and when the partnership started. 
Is that, uh, and just for the listeners, SDR is an acronym. It's sales development rep, which basically means like the first person that kind of reaches out and gets meetings booked for a sales team. And then the account executive will take the meeting and, you know, work on closing the deal. Uh, so, uh, Gabe, is that kind of when that you mentioned something about like this concept of an SDR emerged? Is that sort of when this sort of concept came out in that like early 2010s? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we helped you know Salesloft, Outreach.io, Sendoso, uh, Ring Central, um, obviously Discover Org and Zoom Info, all really start out uh, back then when they were just ideas. And the SDR function, it's interesting because the role itself has evolved now into many, many other industries. It's not in just tech and SaaS anymore. You know, here at LU, we have clients that are literally yoga studios using our SDRs. We have, you know, commercial cleaning companies using SDRs. We have um, staffing and recruiting and even insurance and even financial firms using us, even though the role started in the tech and SaaS space. So to your point, you know, companies have realized that account executives who are self-sourcing and prospecting their own appointments and their own demos is spending 70 to 80% of their day doing it. And you don't want a high paid, you know, subject matter expert, best in class salesperson spending 80% of their time doing cold calls and outreach. You want them selling, you want them doing demos, you want them closing deals and bringing in revenue. There's no executive that doesn't want that to be happening with your AEs. But what we found is that 80% of their day prospecting isn't going to allow that to happen. So what we did is just fragmented that sales role into two. And now the sales development rep is spending 100% of their day prospecting. And then the AE is spending 100% of their day closing deals and doing demos. You know, so it's like football, right? You got the snapper and you got the quarterback. So you got the snappers, the SDR, passing the ball to the quarterback and then the quarterback does their play to run it, run it across the, the touchdown. So that's what the SDR function is all about. And more and more companies are adopting it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. I've, I've hired one, I've hired a fraction of 1% of the amount of salespeople that you've hired, I'm sure. Uh, but I, I I've noticed that uh, it, it's kind of like a rare skill, like especially the more technical a sales executive gets, like the more of a solutions kind of architect or like a solution subject matter expert they are, the less good they are at hunting. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's just like you would look at CS, right? Client success, customer success. You don't want your account executives and your sellers doing the CS. And sometimes companies are still allowing that or providing that to happen. You want you want them to pass the baton too. So there's a, the other side. Again, it's just like the assembly line, like this, you know, in, in manufacturing a car. You know, one guy, one guy's building the engine, the other guy's, you know, putting the parts together, the other guy's painting it. Like, and then you all of a sudden you have a car. So it's the same thing with the sales process. You want your SDRs prospecting. You want your marketing team before that creating brand awareness and creating content. But then you want your SDRs, you know, calling and getting those demos on the calendar. And then you want your sellers to sell. And then you want your engineers or subject matter experts, or your sales engineers, sales enablement team to come in and be that person too. Because if you really don't want, unless it depends on what you're selling, but you really don't want an AE being too technical, right? Um, because again, at the end of the day, it bottlenecks the entire process. Yeah. So that's yeah, what totally. we do. We help fill the funnel so the clients can then um, not spend all their time prospecting. What side? So you just kind of named out a bunch of functions there, like the brand awareness marketing side. There might be some inbound or like account based marketing or some kind of like maybe paid or SEO. Like, so a yeah. marketing team, 
And then you've got the SDR team and then you've got the AE team and then you've got technical sales enablement team. So if I had to just kind of napkin math that, I'm guessing that's probably, you know, 5 million annually in spend at least, uh, you know, to hire that all in-house, maybe closer to 10 million to kind of build up a redundant team across each of those functions. Uh, so what size companies typically have that built out uh, completely? Like where, where does it, where does it get to a point where they're not outsourcing any of those functions, but it's all kind of built out internally? Yeah, well, at first you can actually outsource, right? We all heard of marketing agencies, um, which is, you know, in accounting agencies and HR agencies, but a lot of people don't think out, you can actually outsource prospecting agencies, right? This SDR agency, that's what we do. But I think you can absolutely outsource the marketing side of it if you're brand new, as well as the sales development side of it if you're brand new. You know, the in-house is what you want to keep control is, is really client success. You want to the AE function, more so the sales enablement function. You want to keep that in-house. So you definitely need, you know, capital to keep that in-house. And then you can outsource the rest and then bring it in-house eventually. Right. Um, so to your point, what we like to do is we like to work with a company when they're able to just you know, do those two, three things themselves and then outsource the rest. And then eventually there's an exit strategy. You know, not not every company is like, you know, Zoom Info was and work with us for 10 years. You know, there's a there's an exit strategy where, you know, two, three years from now, you can do everything yourself and we can help you and facilitate you to get to that point. But I would say anywhere between five, $10 million in annual revenue is where you would want to be to start thinking about doing it yourself. Yeah, cool. Okay. Uh, you said five to ten million total in annual revenue before you start doing it yourself. Okay, that's what I, that's that's still... what I would say. There's, there's companies that are much smaller than that, and they're doing their own sales development, but those teams are small. And I always look at it like if you have a one or two or three person SDR team, it's very hard one to retain an SDR. Right? They want to graduate. It's an entry level role many times, so retaining them is difficult. More importantly, you want to create a culture of, of competition and, and camaraderie and competitiveness. And all of those things are hard to do with two or three people. So if you're constantly burning just through a handful of people, sure, you can sustain it at a smaller revenue number, but also, are you really getting the best out of that team? And if you outsource to us, we have 150 SDRs on, on our payroll, all working collectively, even though they represent uh, different clients on assignment, all working collectively, that environment is much more productive if you rent it, if you will, right? Two, two SDRs from us than if you actually did it yourself. I want to take a quick break from the episode and say, if you're enjoying this content, the best way you can say thank you is to subscribe. So if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. And if you're on one of the podcast platforms, hit the subscribe button there as well. And also share it out to your friends and colleagues. If you find this content useful and you think other people will enjoy it as well, please send it out. And back to the episode. And to your point, the five or 10 million, that even seems low to me to like to build all that out in house. I mean, unless you're venture backed and you have, you know, 100 million in the bank and you're, you know, you're at 10 million ARR, but you've got like a, you know, two year, three year runway and you're just kind of like doubling down on growth. Uh, but that, that, that five to 10 million in revenue seems low to me because I think to like fully build out a marketing team, fully build out a, you know, full stack sales team from, SDR to AE to sales enablement, you know, that that seems like you're getting, you know, at least well into a few seven figure 
uh, you know, year annual cost to maintain all those teams. I mean, that's, you know, three, four teams. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I mean, that's, I think where you need to start thinking about it. I don't think you need to build all of it out at that exact moment, but I think that's where you should start thinking about, okay, how do we start putting this in house and what do we need to, what levers do we need to start pulling to bring this in house? If you ever want to do that at all. You know, again, we have companies that have inside sales teams with us for many, 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 many years and have zero intention of ever doing it because they know what they're good at and it's not this, right? And so it depends on really the vision of the founders. Of, do they want it all in-house eventually or do they want to, you know, bring in experts and keep it that way for a long time? So I'm curious too. So that's a good like segue here uh, for something that uh, I've been thinking about. So uh, I'm curious how often, you know, is it just, like a company doesn't know how to tactically execute on sales versus, you know, in my opinion, a CEO and a leadership team, but especially a CEO needs to have a sales oriented vision for the company on how they go to market. You know, what's the go to market strategy? What's our wedge? How do we differentiate? Who are our, what's our ICP? What's our buyer persona? You know, if, if a CEO relies on an external agency to determine that stuff, I think they're just setting up to fail. I, I I don't I don't think that's the kind of stuff that you should outsource. I think you need to have a clear vision as a CEO on how you go to market, who your customers are and how you're going to reach them. And then the outsourcing is just the tactical execution. Uh you know, maybe there can be some like consulting involved, but I think it needs to be, you know, 80 plus percent kind of figured out before you outsource it. And I'm wondering how many how often you see that where a CEO or a company really has like no vision and their sales are floundering, but like how much of it is the tactical execution missing versus just a complete lack of vision and strategy? Yeah, it's funny you say that because that's really where we have to figure that out on these calls. Like we, it's easy to just go out and, and do a demo and everyone, yeah, I want more demos. I want more leads. Like no one says no to that, but we have to unfortunately turn down a lot of companies who come to us because they're looking at us as the problem that needs to be fixed. But reality is, is that actually is not the case. Like right now, we're seeing a lot of companies getting so many demos. And um, the reality is, is the AE team that they've hired over the last few years or have been very used to low hanging fruit. You know, everything's been really, really great. You know, budgets for everything. Sales deals are happening very, very quickly. The sales cycle is very, very short. And now things are getting much tighter, especially in the tech and SaaS space. And those AEs are being really exposed right now, right? And so we're sending demos over the fence, over to their teams, and they're just not closing deals. And it's not because they don't have enough demos anymore, right? So a lot of companies come to us and say, hey, we need more. We, they figure all that out. They have the vision, like you mentioned. Then we just need more demos. We send them over and we're reali- they're realizing, hey, they're not closing the deals. So you're right. That has to be baked out. And we have to, unfortunately, sometimes turn down opportunities because the CEO doesn't have the vision. There isn't a product market fit. There isn't, you know, you know, a, a baked out solution that, uh, you know, that we can bring to the market with confidence. And that definitely has to happen in order for us to be operating at, you know, at full cell, all full cylinders. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I, I cause I think that's, uh, I think that's a, uh, you know, uh, a, probably a common thread in the industry where, you know, companies will come to a firm like yours and say, hey, we need more sales. 
And, you know, there can be some level of strategy that you guys do, but you can't be the CEO for your clients. Like they, they yeah. need a, they need a strong, like you, for you to be successful for a client, the client, the, the organization needs to be led by a leadership team with a strong go-to-market vision and a clear understanding of how to execute that vision. And it, and then you guys are basically the boots on the ground that go and, and run, run with the torch there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing, the, the thing we always ask a CEO if they get on the call is like, hey, how can you help me? And, and we tell them and we show them and it's great. And then our question back to them is, okay, so Mr. CEO, if we have 100 meetings on the calendar next month, what are you going to do with them? Right? And if they don't have a good answer to that question, um, it's, it's concerning for us, right? So again, we can, we can create the meetings and we can expose them to demos, but if they don't know what to do after that, what happens? Or even a step further, let's say they do sell 50% of those demos, 25%, are they going to be able to execute on the offering that it is they're promising their customer? And if they can't follow through with that, then that gets broken as well. So again, it is all connected, but you're right. There has to be a rock hard um, you know, vision from the founder, the CEO, uh, and, and, and their team um, when wanting to go to market and adding a, a function like us to it. Cool. All right. Good. Uh, I want to go back to Zoom Info uh, about the insights, uh, the the uh, what do they call them? Uh, like the uh, intent data. The uh, you know they have these kind of like scoops or intent data, whatever they call them, where it's like, hey, uh, you know, X Y Z company is likely to outsource sales development in the next three months, or they're likely to outsource, you know, some you know they have an accounting audit. They're looking for a you know an accounting firm to deal with this accounting audit or whatever the scoop is. So like, where does that data come from? Do you have any insight on how they get these scoops data? Well, originally they built it with a company and used, um, I believe it was Bombora. And this is all public knowledge, but yeah, they they use a company that focuses specifically on intent. And then I know that once they you know brought everything in-house and, and uh, acquired a handful of other companies, they started just doing it themselves. And so it's a culmination of a lot. You know, they have thousands of researchers, physical humans, researching all the data, as well as asking questions on whether or not things are happening in the marketplace. Uh, they're looking at, you know, website traffic and competitor traffic and what people are shopping for. Uh, so they have a, a lot of different levers that they are spending a lot of money on and, and to provide that product. Um, but it is one that I feel is what every SDR team, every sales team needs. If you attach a human to a list of intent, um, you know, you can take over markets, right? So that is really, really good data to go after because to your point, um, they're seeing what's going on. The scoops are coming in and, you know, we all know timing is probably the most important thing in sales. And if that is already, uh, if you already know that magic eight ball about the timing piece, uh, you know, everything else is pretty much, uh, you know, whether or not you can figure out how to sell it or not. So what do they do? Just put up like websites with white papers and just, you know, have someone download a white paper and put in their name and email. And then they're like, all right, now we know this company is potentially, you know, they're yeah. downloading a white paper. So they're potentially interested in this type of service. Like maybe it's a white paper. Yeah, there's, on a lot, there's a lot of moving parts, but that's definitely one of the things that they 100% do. But if I'm a researcher and I find out I'm asking you questions because, you know, you may or may not get these calls, but I sometimes do. And they ask me just, you know, survey questions. And that information is also really, really valuable. Um, and, and then they pump that information into uh, into their system and you can use it as intent. Do you take those calls? I always hang up on them. 
<laughs> well, me, I mean, because I'm in the business of of cold calling, I always take a cold call if I can, uh, just so I can critique the person, see maybe I can hire them, right? But at the end of the day, I want to hear what people are sounding like on the phones because that's the space that I live in. So I'm one of the weird ones that actually take those calls. But so I'll I'll take a cold call if uh, like they'll hit my cell phone and if if I can tell in the first like three words out of their mouth that they're a good SDR. Uh, like if I can tell that they're like seasoned and they've got like yeah. some kind of charisma and some mojo to them, then I'll say, all right, 10 seconds, shoot your shot. And then, you yeah. know, I'll see what they say. If they can get me hooked in 10 seconds, then I'll have a call with them. Otherwise, you know, I'm like, all right, sorry, I'm not interested. <laughs> I'd love that. I'm the same way. I mean, I, I, I value uh, cold calls that are really, really good. Um, it's funny, a quick story. I actually got a cold call from a young, young kid. He was brand new into the space, but he was really good. And the product, we actually already have it. So we didn't need it. It wasn't a deal. But I listened to the guy. And then I said, hey, I don't know. Do you know what I do? And he's like, and then he, and he did. He did the research. So I gave him some advice on his cold call. And this is a real story. And what happened was after I got, I never met this guy. After I got off the phone, his dad apparently owns a, a tech company in New York. And after he got off the phone, I got an email an hour later from his dad, the CEO of this company. Now, he wasn't working for his dad. Totally different business. And he asked for a demo because he was looking for some sales reps himself. And we got a client out of it all because of the cold call that was not nothing to do with the company. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's ridiculous. That's pretty so funny cool, how that all worked out. But yeah, I take the cold call. But to your point, I really only set the meeting with ones that are really good and uh, hopefully coach the ones that need some help because it is a tough job, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is a tough job. Um, it's funny, like, you know, you mentioned earlier the boiler room thing. So I, when I started my first company, this was back in like 2007 or something, 2008. Uh, I would just, it was like, right, I was starting a web design company right when the the markets yeah. were tanking back in the housing bubble. Uh, and I was down in Florida. So it was like all, I was calling on small businesses in Florida, which was like the worst hit economy in the entire country. Uh, and basically, my strategy for getting customers at the time was I I got the phone book. I started at A, and I just like slammed amp energy drinks and just like I would do like 400 calls a day and just like dial through and just I just basically slammed the phone book for the the whole day. Like, hey, you're spending money on the yellow pages. Uh, you know, how about a website? <laughs> oh my god, that's crazy. Yeah, absolutely, man. I love it. Yeah, that's cool. So, uh, all right, cool. Let's move on. Uh, okay. So I'm I'm actually curious. So you've got this like pretty large sales SDR operation. Uh, I'm I'm guessing it's probably one of the larger you know uh, teams in the country. If I you know if I had to bet, but uh, you know you've got this pretty large sales operation. I'm curious, like, is there some kind of like synergy or sort of like network effect that you can achieve with a team that big? You know, for instance, can you kind of like, you know, if if uh, you know, is it like a one-to-one -one with the reps where like one rep is calling for one company or is there a way that reps can kind of like load balance multiple companies where they're calling and it's like, oh, hey, this isn't a fit, but, you know, maybe they can cross sell leads across multiple companies. Is there any aspect of that going on? Right. So great question. So we're a fully remote company. Um, so doing what we do remotely is even more challenging, but I think we've really cracked the code in creating a competitive environment, yet a fun culture to win in. And the big thing that we're really excited about here at Alleyoop is that, you know, we have people who have been with us three, four, five times the industry average, 
of tenure when it comes to these sales reps types of roles. And so that's really unique to us. And the way we do it, to be to be specific, is we have, as you know, alley-oops are our name. So the shoot the shot, right, the, the, the basketball uh, theme that we have, we carry that uh, into our everyday life. So all of our uh, sales reps are on a pod or on a team of six to seven, and they have a team captain, uh, just like a basketball team. We have a team captain who is a player coach and an accountability partner. And um, even though they're on different projects or different clients, they all work together to hit their mark, hit their number, hit their activity metrics and keep each other accountable. And then those small micro teams are across an entire organization. We have them all competing. Uh, against each other every single month, just like you would see a bracket or you know a, a, a sports competition, and that's how we keep that culture happen. So we have a very big gamification uh, throughout the day. Um, we're all you know celebrating all the little wins throughout the day, and it really creates a good competitive environment. What we don't do is we don't share um, meetings across clients. That's a big no-no here because we want that the integrity of those meetings to be sitting with that client and only that client. Um, but we definitely share best practices. We definitely share, you know, um, you know, we do call camp every single week to determine, hey, this is a great call. Keep doing that. Here's how we critique you. So we're constantly, it's really like an education. It's a, it's a university for sales reps, essentially. We, uh, we always say we have value of alumni. So we celebrate when they do leave because all of our programs have a direct hire function. So our sales reps can actually get a job, a full-time job at our clients at the end of the agreement that we have with them. So they can even grow their career from here. And we have countless stories of people who are executives at many, many, many companies who all started off, you know, as a sales rep here at Alley. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, you made me think of something. Uh, okay. What? So you, you mentioned these pods and, uh, and the pods are kind of like on a scoreboard against each other and, you know, sort of trying to like rise the ranks of top performing pod. Uh, what is the qualities of an SDR and also like a pod that make them perform, you know, what, what are, is there like quantifiable things you can point to and say like, all right, I know this person's going to crush it. Or is there some level of like just luck and kind of randomness out there? Yeah, it's funny. So I ran the recruiting function uh, and still you have, before you get a job at LU, you have to go through a session with me before you actually get hired. Uh, so I call it Gabe's gauntlet. <laughs> um, it's definitely nerve wracking, but we do literally uh, mock phone calls before. Does we they have to sell you a pen? Uh, essentially, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it, it's it's interesting because the big things that we look for is not really on a resume. And I think any you know you, you know you're you know an executive, and I think you would agree with this, right? Like you're not really looking for the resume, even though it's important. You're looking for you know, consistency, you're looking for grit, you're looking for, you know, drive and desire. And I want to see how you respond to negativity. You know, you're going to, in sales, you're going to hear no before you hear yes, right? So how do you respond to that and not react, but respond to it? And so we look for people who have grit. We look for people who want to go the extra mile. We look for hungry people who want to, you know, really uh, make their mark. And um, that's what we that's what we look for when it comes to hiring. And uh, we usually get it right. Sometimes we don't. But when we do, um, our coaching, the training, um, you know, really takes them to the whole nother level. How do you? I mean, is that behavioral interview or uh, how? Yeah, how do you figure you this look things at out? EQ. Yeah, exactly. Emotional intelligence. 
We look at how do they respond to different reactions. We ask them to give us examples of stories that have um, you know occurred in their life, even personal stories if that's relevant. Um, you know, a big question that I like to ask in an interview is, you know, tell me about a time where everything wasn't going right, um, whether, whether maybe with a customer that was upset or maybe it was, uh, you know, a, a colleague that was upset and it just wasn't going right and you got it fixed and how you got it fixed. Like, that's a question I would ask in an interview, which many people don't ask those types of questions, I think, right now in interviews. So that's important to us. Yeah. Okay. And is there like ever just like a single thing that you can boil it down to just like a single quality that, you know, if somebody has that quality, you're, you're going to hire them every single time. Um, I don't have a silver bullet where they just say, Oh, that's definitely it. It's almost more of like a culmination of a series of questions. And it, it's a bit, we also have a democracy of things here. So we have a team of, of people who all have to vote on everyone who comes in because they're going to be managing them and they want to, I want the managers to get excited about this person. It's almost like a draft, right? Like, Oh, I want that person on my team. Yeah. So we, we have that happening here as well. So it's a collective effort. Um, and also at the same time, we want to make sure that the people that we're interviewing is, you know, are, we know what they want. We know what their why is. We ask that, like, what is your why? And we get really specific because we actually, um, incentivize all of our reps differently. I know that may sounds crazy, but we, if somebody wants time off and that's their motivator, like we'll give them that as their incentive if they hit this. If it's money or monetarily, you know, we, we're gonna do that. Um, if it's physical prizes, you know, we will actually do that. How do you figure so, that out? What's that? How do you figure that out? You just you ask them? We send them a survey. It's anonymous um, to just the, the leadership team. Uh, so they we obviously know, but no one else does. And we send them an individual survey and how they want to be rewarded. And they tell us what their why is, what they're looking for, why they want to, you know, earn this money is going to get them what. You know, I know this, you know, gentleman on my team, he wants to get a ring for his fiance for his girlfriend so he can get married. I know another one he wants to buy a house with his wife right now and his you know, two kids who he, who he just had. Well, um, man, this is this is like the master class on how to hire and, and train SDRs. This is this is really good stuff. Uh, like really tying uh, it's like in sales with psychology, like you're tying the like the real tangible emotional thing to the work that needs to be done yeah. or to like the the like the 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 task at hand, essentially. And we have a grandfather, a gentleman who was very, very successful in business and sales, uh, but just was done with the uh, you know big you know pressure of it, and is now an SDR. And you may think, wait, you have a guy who's who's, who's done successfully and he's in his sixties and he's he's an SDR. I'm like, yeah, absolutely, and he absolutely loves it and he's crushing it. But he's a, he's a grandfather, and his motivation is to spend time with his grandkids, and he can you know clock in crank out a ton of calls, book a ton of meetings, talk to CEOs all day long. And if he does it really well every single month, he can get up to 30 days of PTO and he loves that. So there, that is very different in regards to how to incentivize him than someone who just you know, finished bartending school and is 22 and wants to be an SDR too. So it's, it's uniquely different, but we can put together comp plans for them uh, you know, specifically. Wow, that's really awesome. So, uh, so you just one off customize every single comp plan. Is it is there like a sort of like a decision tree where it's kind of automated? Or do you actually like, does a sales manager actually create every single one? 
So the comp plans are the same, but the incentives are different. So everyone has the same comp plan and it's based on percentage of quota. So if you're at 25% quota, because the quotas could be different, right? So clients, you know, if, I, if our client is an ERP system and it's a $250,000, you know, so software annually, you're probably going to get a lot less meetings booked than if we were selling a $100 HR subscription, right? So the meeting count is a variable, but the quota percentage is static. So if I'm an SDR and I need to get 25 meetings a month, that's my quota. And if I'm an SDR on a different project, I have to get 10 meetings a month, that's my quota. But at the end of the day, if you're 25% quota or 50% quota or 75% quota, 100% quota, that is the same monetary amount, or you can choose various things. So it's like a buffet. So do you want to get financial bonus? Do you want to get time off, right? Or do you want to get a specific gift of things that we have? Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah. That's really awesome. Yeah, I, I love that strategy. Uh, so changing gears, you said something earlier that that caught my my interest to, to double click on. And that was about kind of this like market trends uh, from 2021 to where we are today in 2023, where, you know, there was all this money on the streets floating around, slashing around. There was, you know, budgets galore. You know, everyone was buying. Everyone was saying yes to everything. You know, sales was super easy. Hiring was the bottleneck back then. Uh, and now like the market's completely flipped. Sales is difficult, at least, you know, from, from my experience in the, the market lately, it's been, you know, sales has been like way more difficult, way more headwinds before we had a lot of tailwinds. Now we're having a lot of headwinds, uh, kind of, you know, forcing it, forcing against the sales process. So, uh, I'm curious, like, just because you have such a large data pool, I'm curious, like how, how, like, is there a quantified metric to that? Like, have you seen... You know, is it like calls to to meeting ratio? Do you have something like that where it's like, you know, before we had to do, you know, a hundred calls to get a meeting. Now we're doing like three hundred calls to get a meeting. Is there some like KPI or metric around that that you know you can kind of like aggregate across the entire market? For calls, it's double. We have to make twice the amount of calls right now to get the same amount of metrics we did a few years ago. Um, and I think it's a culmination of things. Um, phone, by the way, is still the number one channel when get when it comes to getting a meeting on the calendar. Uh, and that's just not me speaking. We do literally tens of thousands of calls a day company-wide. But uh, you know, even our big clients, even Zoom Info and other companies that we are connected with, you know, phone is still king when it comes to the channel in which is most effective. Even when you're calling on tech companies or enterprise? Absolutely. How do you but get through the gatekeepers on those? So that's part of our training. So we actually train exactly how to get around gatekeepers to get people to say let yes to a meeting. Um, and we train, we have 10 different training topics or 10 different objections that we train. And one of them is specifically gatekeepers. We actually break it down even more specifically than that. Uh, gatekeepers could be an executive assistant or a receptionist. And those are even different. And you talk to those two people differently as well. So yeah, I mean, the, right now it's about twice the amount of phone calls that are needing to be made. And um, emails is also down a little bit. But the thing, the answer to question is, what do you do about it? Do you just make twice the amount of phone calls? The answer is no, but you definitely make more. But you can also be more personalized and more relevant. And I think right now automation has created so much stuff getting thrown your way through automation that you have to figure out ways to cut through the noise and be relevant. And that's the big piece of it. I think personalization is important, 
but not like it used to be. You know, people are like, oh, wow, I saw you went to the same college as my buddy Fred did. You know, I'd be like, that's not personalization like it used to be. Everyone sees through that these days. It's relevance that wins. And if you can be relevant and stick out and do something different, maybe like create a custom video or do something that is human, people are going to gravitate towards that over all the uh, static emails that are being sent. I was telling you the story earlier before we started recording where I saw this SDR, basically he had this small list of targets he wanted to get in front of. And his way to do it was he said, all right, I'm going to send you, I'm sending you an email. I really, you know, I already tried to reach you. You didn't respond. I really want you to see this pitch. So I'm going to deliver the pitch on a video embedded in this email while I'm housing 10 habanero, super hot habanero wings. So he's like, and I watched the video, he's like sweating and his like eyes are watering up and turning red. And he's like doing his pitch. It's like hot sauce on his face. See, that and, to me uh, is amazing, right? Like we're all addicted <laughs> to, you know, TikTok and, you know, videos and reels and Instagram, like everyone's watching this stuff. Right. And so people are gravitated to it for a reason. I don't know if it's addicting. I don't know if it's entertaining, but people love it. Um, I'm not saying you have to be a TikTok, you know, influencer to be an SDR or a sales rep. But I am saying is if you did create a custom video like that guy did or something different where you can physically have a face-to-face, eye-to-eye contact through video and send them something, I'm telling you, it's going to be more responsive than sending somebody an email 15 times that sounds exactly the same as everyone else. Yeah. Voice notes are yeah. yeah. Sorry, go and ahead. On LinkedIn, I do voice notes all the time. You know, if someone's reaching out to me, it's easier for me personally to do it. But at the end of the day, I'd rather hear someone's voice it's like, it's like walkie-talkie, right? You, you say one thing and then someone says another thing. So voice notes are really big too to get someone's attention. And also they're curious. Right? If you just see a voice note come through on your LinkedIn, like you can't see what they're saying, but you want to know what they're saying. So you're just going to hit it, right? It's because you're just kind of curious. And then it, it creates more of an interaction and, and, it, and it's more effective. It's proven to be more effective. Yeah, interesting. Does that work on email too? Or is that more of a LinkedIn thing? I think it's more on LinkedIn. It's really hard to do a voice note on email, but definitely on LinkedIn, you can do it on your on the native app on LinkedIn on your phone. It, it's built in very nicely. Um, through video, I would say is the best way to do it. There's a bunch of companies, BombBomb, Vidyard, Vidu, are all great companies um, that allow you to make a quick loom. And I know a lot of people use loom to make yeah, a quick for sure. video. Sometimes I require it. If like I literally put someone to the test. Someone sends me a, a message on LinkedIn and said, hey, and if they do, do like a whole description, I literally respond, can you make a two minute loom video on exactly what it is your offering is? And I'll ask them that. And for the ones who actually do it, I'll take the meeting because most of the time it's a, it's a good conversation, but more importantly, it shows that there is a real person behind this and this is a true offering and you can really evaluate it in a two minute video than, you know, three paragraphs of nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. So two things I want to go into, uh, you know, we kind of talked about the state of outbound and how it's more difficult. I think I agree. There's a lot of noise. I'm seeing more AI. I'm also seeing just more like, for lack of a better word, jabronis kind of getting into the game where they're just sort of like doing a half-assed automated, you know, their subject lines are all jacked up their emails. Like, you know, you can tell, you can tell they copy and pasted it out of a Google doc and the formatting's all messed up and, so there's just like a lot of like, you know, kind of like 
really entry level players in the outbound space that are just not doing a good job. Uh, I, my personal opinion is that I don't know if you ever heard of the cold email wizard on Twitter, but uh, yeah. he's like uh, he trained like an army. He built this course on uh, Gum Road and trained an army of like tens of thousands of people how to do cold email across the globe. So I think he yeah. and it's sort of like, you know, scammy kind of like low, low grade tactics for cold email. So I think the cold email wizard might be to blame for the uh, yeah. for the the flooding in the industry of of kind of low low level cold email, low quality cold email. Uh, but I'm curious. Uh, so you 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 kind of talked about video, and you just kind of went into it a little bit there. But you also mentioned earlier before we hit record that you know you actually give HD cameras to all of your reps, and it's you know kind of like a part of your process. So I'm curious what. I mean, is that what you have them do? Just those two minute loom videos and the outreach process or what does that video outbounding look like? Yeah, so we did do that. We bought cameras for everybody, but we did it for two reasons. One is all about, of course, prospecting and, and getting more effective meetings on the calendar, but also from a culture perspective, right? If you're running a remote team, you know, we all remember back in the day, like we're on audio conference calls, but with video, it really changes everything. And just from an internal culture standpoint, like all of our calls are video. We have to be on video for our team meetings, you know, and 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 we're we're a video first company because it creates that that in office feel and that culture is uh, that is so so important. You know, we have situations where I, I've worked with some of my colleagues for years. I mean, I was invited to their wedding, and I think it was the second or maybe the first time I ever met them physically. But we worked together for years on video yet we're being invited to weddings and that's how close of a relationship colleague wise you're working with people all because of video i, I guarantee if we didn't have video it probably would have not happened because of that relationship is so much more important when you see the person so that was one of the reasons why we did it the other reason is to your point is you know you're cutting through the noise so you can create a short personalized video uh as an sdr and send that out and then you can track it so it gives you an opportunity to track it as well. So you can see, did they watch it? How long How long did they watch it for? Did they watch it more than once? Did they click on any links or go to our website at the end? And it really gives you some analytics behind it and then allows you to maybe make a call. And it's kind of serendipitous, right? Imagine, you know, you just watched a video and then 30 seconds later, you got a phone call from that person. And, uh, you know, like, oh my God, I was just watching your video. Oh, funny you said that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so it creates, it's a little awkward and, and kind of stalkerish, but at the same time, it also creates uh, the power of, you know, human connection and, and then relevancy, of course, is, is, is on top of mind. So that's important. I like that you're honest about it, because I think a lot of people are like, oh, it's such a coincidence, but it's like... Yeah. Yeah, that's a bullshit. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm direct about it, because they all know these days, right? Especially yeah. if we're selling our program. I mean, think about that. Let's say one of my SDR, Alleyoop SDR, sent it to you and then called. And, and the pitch was, wouldn't it be great if we treated you just like your prospects? And they're like, oh, wow. Yeah, I actually wouldn't mind if this is professional. This is great. I, I would love for you to talk to my prospects like this. And so that's a great way to start a conversation to sell our services. But at the end of the day, it's definitely most effective. Yeah, that's cool. So uh, you kind of briefly touched on automation and a lot of that nowadays is AI mm -hmm. powered, AI driven. Uh, do you think AI is a good thing or a bad thing in these sales tool sets that are out there? I'm thinking of like Sixth Sense and some of those other kind of uh, yeah. AI powered outbounding tools. I mean, it's the old controversy like, you know, is robots good or bad? 
you know, Amy as a robot, right? So like, is it a good or bad thing? I don't know. Uh, Jetsons was pretty cool when I was a kid, you know, and I love sci-fi, but the reality is, is, is for to be more real, like, right? Is it good? I think it's great as a tool, but I think the idea of it replacing all salespeople is just too far-fetched for now. Um, but do we use AI? Yeah, we use Claude, we use ChatGPT, we use tools that integrate with those platforms to allow for better messaging and more personalization. And, you know, can you get, you know, things better or uh, accomplished faster with AI? Sure. And it's something that we absolutely think is great. But do I think it's going to be a replacement of um, human-human interaction? Uh, not yet. And I hope it's not. Um, so, because I, I think we would all miss it and probably want to go back. I don't know yet, but I'm not, I'm not, a, uh, you know, I don't have the magic eight ball, but I do know that AI is definitely here to stay and it's getting better every day and it's something we should embrace, but I don't think we should just, you know, stop our sales budget and marketing budget and just go all in on an AI platform. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it, it is like kind of like almost a 1984 dystopian future moment for society. Sure. Uh, and I talk about, you know, I, you know, I kind of talk about both sides with people all the time because it's it's an interesting, you know, thought experiment or just kind of discussion. Uh, I recently I had uh, Xavier on the pod a couple episodes ago, who's the CEO of Presto, which is a uh, you would probably if you ever been in like an Applebee's or a Chili's or an Outback Steakhouse. Yep. Uh, they make that tablet that sits on the table where you can send new orders to the kitchen and, you know, check out your bill. Yep. Uh, so they're a pretty sizable company. I think they're in the hundreds of employees and they've been around for you know a decade or two, but that's their legacy product. And the new product they're building is 100% AI driven drive-through automation. So you can basically wow. go through a restaurant and uh, go through a drive-through and like talk to a, a AI order taker. And yep. I think, you know, from what he was explaining, the technology is such that like you can't actually tell it's AI. It's that good at this point. And I think the next he didn't get super into it, but I think the next stage of that is to actually like automate the kitchen and the cooking, like the the equipment. And then I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, all right, well, then Tesla has the self-driving trucks. So you roll a semi up to the, you know, self-driving semi up to the building. You get one of those like figure robots to offload the stuff from the truck and then clean the equipment, load, you know, yeah. reload the machines. And you've got an autonomous no person, you know, McDonald's now, like no, no exactly. one's in there. Like no, no one's, no one's in the building. It's just, you know, the doors lock themselves at night. It's just fully autonomous, you know, facility. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I mean, is it going that route? Sure. I mean, that that's back to the future 101. I think it's definitely going that route. And I think, you know, we either embrace it and, and use it as an advantage to do our jobs more effectively, or we, you know, don't, and then things crumble. You know, I saw a really cool thing. It was Fiverr actually that posted on uh, LinkedIn yesterday. And it says, uh, you know, AI, uh, you know, allowed me to do my job better, right? As opposed to AI replaced my job. And so, yes, are, are people going to be displaced? Sure. Just like in the car business when, you know, robots were on the assembly line and a lot of people were displaced when building cars. So the same thing's going to happen, you know, in our world as well. But at the end of the day, I think right now what we should be doing is using it as a way to augment our profession as opposed to uh, worry about it being replaced in that and tomorrow. We have a client at Kiro Tech uh, that's like 150 years old uh, and they were massive, like way back in the day, massive government contractor and their business was horseshoe nails for the military. 
And uh, so they they basically were like the largest horseshoe nail government contractor. They would sell like, yeah. you know, to like the, the Revolutionary War days or whatever, like back there. I guess maybe it was like Civil War days. I don't know. But like way, way back in, I don't know history well, but way, way back in those early day wars, they would be yeah. supplying the horseshoe nails to the military. And uh, and then obviously, you know, in the you know 1900s, that business goes belly up. Uh, now they're now their business is parachutes and those like fuel, those like midair receptacle fueling where you have like the fuel tank and then like the helicopter or the plane comes in and like connects to the other plane and then like they refuel midair. Yeah. So they make the the midair refueling things and they make the parachutes now. And uh, yeah, so they went from one business to another, like obviously parachutes and midair refueling wasn't in, wasn't a business back when they were making horseshoe nails. So one category goes away, another category, you know, evolves. Yeah. And I think pivoting is like a word that really needs to be adopted by so many founders right now. Like there's a lot of companies doing very, very well. And I think a lot of them, the ones that are, uh, are know how to pivot and are accepting that as a best practice. And so pivoting is something we all have to, you know, really embrace and change is, is a good thing. Um, and if, if you adopt to it. And so I, I couldn't agree more. Cool. Uh, well, Hey man, this was a great episode. Uh, really enjoy Like we hit so many things. I think this is going to yeah. be a good one. Probably some good short bites out of this too. Uh, how do you want to close it out? Obviously, you know, do do a quick pitch for Alleyoop. If anyone's looking for a, a killer outbound sales team, you know, where do they find you? What, you know, what do you want them to know about your value prop? Yeah, well, I, again, I, I appreciate the time and, and this has been awesome. Um, you know, for those who want to talk with us about what we do here at Alleyoop, you know, if you're looking at, you know, adding more sales reps to your team this year and next year, but want to do it uh, without the massive overhead and the management of doing it, we, we can do it for you. Um, simply just reach out to me directly. Um, you know, we'll give you a discount if you come through Brian. So make sure you mention his name. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Gabriel Lulo. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn and very active there. And then of course, our website is alleyoop.io. Cool. Yeah, we'll put the links in the uh, show notes as well. So for the listeners that want to check those out, just go into the show notes. And uh, that's it, man. That, that's the episode. 